today, Parliament's presiding officers give an update on readiness for Thursday's State of the Nation address. The EFF is launching a new court bid to get its leaders to ascend SONA. The latest from the mining in Darba, also underway in Cape Town. Professor... It's Gauteng, Premier... Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today, coming to you live from Cape Town all week because it is the State of the Nation address on Thursday. So we are building up to that. And I can tell you, Cape Town is already a buzz with activity. Uh, I drove past uh, the Grand Parade and already you can see uh, roads being closed off and the OB vans uh, from various TV stations up and ready to go. I went through the accreditation process this morning. It was very quick and easy. Uh, there's also briefing underway today by the presiding officers of Parliament who have been giving a briefing on the readiness for SONA, the 2024 State of the Nation address taking place on Thursday, still at Cape Town City Hall. And if you drive past the National Assembly, you'll see that it's still not fixed and burnt and nothing has been really done to get it fixed at all. So we're going to have a look at that. Also, the mining in Darba is underway in Cape Town. So it's really busy, really full, lots happening, and we are going to take you to the mining in Darba as well. But let's start with the state of readiness for the State of the Nation address. The National Assembly Speaker, Nosiviwe Mapisa Nkakula, and the National Council of Provinces Chairperson, Amos Masondo, have been holding that briefing. Have a listen to what the Speaker has had to say. Sona, convened by the President as per the Constitution, serves to update the nation on government commitments and to outline the government's program of action for the new financial year. It is a joint sitting of the National Assembly and the National Council of Provinces presided over jointly by the Speaker and the Chairperson of the NCOP. The President's speech is the sole agenda item. Following this, Members of Parliament will engage in a two-day joint debate on the address, with the President's reply scheduled for the subsequent day. SONA will be broadcast live on radio and TV and streamed live on Parliament's website, the DSTV channel and YouTube channels. In this context, the State of the Nation address by President Cyril Ramaphosa scheduled for January 8, 2024, transcends being a mere event in our nation's calendar. It holds significant importance as it marks the final sauna of the current five-year parliamentary term. Concurrently, as we prepare for this sauna, we are also engaged in extensive preparations for both the opening of the seventh parliament and for welcoming the new generation of members of parliament. The task of finalizing bills 
that can be completed that can be completed before the dissolution of this parliament is underway. Additionally, the compilation of handover reports and collating legacy reports for the sixth parliament is nearing completion. Nosiviwe Mapisan Krakula, the Speaker of the National Assembly there uh, at that briefing a bit earlier on. Lindsay Dentlinger, Eyewitness News reporter, was also there for us. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. Uh, take us through the readiness. How ready is uh, Parliament for the State of the Nation address on Thursday? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, this is the third one that's being held at the City Hall, which for the purposes of this event is declared a part of Parliament. I am standing in the corridors right now. Uh, incidentally, right next to a sign that former presidents, and uh, we hear that all the former presidents and the deputy presidents and the former House speakers have all been invited to this event. We know that Parliament has been scaling back a little bit in previous years, owing um, to budgetary constraints, then to COVID, then to a, a Parliament building that has been uh, destroyed by fire. But um, the Speaker saying that this year uh, it's not only the end of the parliamentary term, as we've heard in that sound clip that you just played, but it's also the celebration of 30 years of a democratic parliament. And so for that reason, all the pomp and ceremony that we have come to know uh, that accompanies this um, auspicious occasion and which marks the start of the parliamentary year, all of that is in place. There'll be an imbongi, there'll be the military parade, a fly pass, uh, and all um, the trimmings that go with the State of the Nation address. And parliament says it's very ready to deliver all of that, Mandy. Uh, Lindsay, I bumped into you in the accreditation hall a bit earlier on and you made the point to me um, that usually this briefing happens a lot earlier than just a couple of days before. This is a bit late, isn't it? It is rather. We normally get an indication at least a week uh, in advance of the kinds of preparations uh, that are being made. Um, So a little bit unclear as to why this one uh, is being held only two days uh, before the time. Uh, The presiding officers say they will do the usual walkabout. Sometimes we see the president uh, accompany them and just go through a little bit of a rehearsal uh, tomorrow. Um, So, yes, we normally get an idea uh, of even of who is um, going to attend the event. We normally get that kind of idea uh, quite substantially before the event, um, but we are told that all the former presidents and deputies and other dignitaries have accepted the uh, receipt of the uh, invitation, but uh, exactly who will be attending, Mandy, two days before State of the Nation address, we don't know for certain. There are new rules for joint sittings of the National Assembly and the National Council of Provinces, new joint sitting rules, which include no member may interrupt the Speaker whilst delivering the State of the Nation address. Tell us about this. So this is a bit of a contentious issue as we speak. The EFF is in the Western uh, Cape High Court in an ongoing matter to challenge these rules. They were adopted by the House late last year and they apply to joint sittings. Uh, and in particular, um, when the president speaks, that no MP may interrupt um, the president. And of course, um, the EFF would uh, want to believe that these rules were specifically uh, brought into force um, to prevent what we saw uh, last year in, in the City Hall, uh, which was quite chaotic. Uh, and so they are currently um, in the Western Cape High Court challenging them. But today the presiding officer is saying that these rules apply to everybody. They are not rules that were 
instituted for a particular party uh, and not specifically for the EFF, but it's to maintain uh, decorum of the House. Uh, civility was um, the word I think the Deputy Speaker, Lechesa Sonori, used a little bit earlier when he was questioned about that. Uh, and they say this is an auspicious occasion and uh, they want it uh, to go off uh, without a hitch. Uh, they want the president to be respected and to be allowed to deliver his address without any interruptions. Uh, and they feel um, that they are on sound ground, they say, Mandy, that the court always recognizes the separation of powers and parliament's uh, right to come up with their own rules that govern the way they carry out their business. And so they feel that they will find themselves being able to implement those rules, which incidentally it will be the first time that uh, Parliament will institute and um, make use of these new rules that apply to joint sittings of the House. Uh, and uh, as I say, we wait mm. to see how that, whether there is an outcome uh, in the courts on that, but Parliament certainly feeling very confident that they won't be prohibited from applying these rules on Thursday evening. Lindsay, thank you very much uh, for that. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter who is at the Cape Town City Hall uh, listening to that briefing. We don't know which former president. Oh, Jacob Zuma, no. Khalima uh, Motlante, Tabo I imagine, will be there as well. Um, so an update there on the state of readiness. Lindsay mentioning that the EFF is in court in a last-minute bid for its leader, Julius Malema, and five others to attend the Sona address. Remember, there was a decision taken that they could not. Uh, there are these tough new joint sitting rules in place uh, banning interrupting the president's speech. Let's uh, have a, a chat now to Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter who's following that court case for us. Babalo, good afternoon to you. Tell us about this application that's been brought by the EFF. Yes, good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, the EFF back in court today um, you know, to make this urgent application um, to the Western Cape High Court to have um, you know, those sanctions against its senior members, Julius Malema, Floyd Shivambu, and four other MPs, you know, to be suspended by the court so that they can attend the State of the Nation address on Thursday. Now, this is a sanction that was adopted by the National Assembly late last year, and it basically, you know, um, forbids the EFF from attending SONA because they've been suspended for the month of February. And um, But the EFF arguing in court, their senior counsel, that they're not trying to prescribed to Parliament on how to discipline MPs, and they're not trying to compel Parliament to also outsource its disciplinary functions, but they do want an fact-finding independent judge to first look into the matter before, you know, it is dealt with by the Powers and Privileges Committee. And they're saying this, you know, Parliament must be subjected to constitutional control. And, you know, um, the dominance of the majority is also a danger the constitutional good order to quote their senior counsel advocate Camille Premit and he says based on numbers majority can do whatever they want at, you know currently because the ANC has those majority numbers and they say this is quite prejudicial to the EFF and you know also basically adding that it's a breach of rules because this majoritarian dominance is a breach of the rules and wants this relief from the court and um, you know the court is still in session and the EFF has made its case and Parliament's now, you know, responding to that um, submission by the EFF, um, a, f- a full bench of three judges, Mandy, which is, you know, um, something that's been taken quite seriously by the court. So um, a three-judge three full bench and the matter is still pending within the court as we speak.
Babalo, uh, are the EFF optimistic about the outcome here? Because they, they have already tried other, other avenues through the courts. They have been unsuccessful. Um, and this very much is a last-ditch last attempt. Are, are they optimistic about this route? Yes, they seem optimistic about this route um, because it was first struck off the roll last week because of you know procedural issues and, and late submissions. This was on Friday the matter struck off the roll. But they did manage to, you know, submit another notice almost immediately after that, which is the one that we are hearing today. So there is confidence. Um, there are a few of their MPs who are present in court, Nazir Paulson, um, Natasha Tlanguini, as well as the EFF chairperson, Dombo Vuyomende, here to, you know, to give support. But um, they, they are quite optimistic and they also argue that, you know, um, this separation of powers argument by parliament does not, you know, exist at all at this moment and um, they're also saying that um, they, you know they can't you know predetermine the EFF what the EFF will do in this sonar just because they disrupted last year's sonar uh, one of the arguments that they're putting forward and they are quite confident that you know the, the court will rule in their favor um, um, on an urgent basis before Thursday and and there's also as, as, Lin, as Lindsay correctly mentioned earlier that there's also this other pending court decision on the rules of Parliament which will also be delivered before Thursday and the EFS also confident I think in that case Mandy. Babalo, thank you very much for that. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter in quarter for us, having a listen to that application. And who can forget the State of the Nation address last year? Uh, I was doing a live show with Clement Maniatella and you know, to see the EFF members effectively storming the stage uh, and then seeing the balaclava-wearing police in camouflage, uh, entering the House as well, uh, Julius Malema, others carrying posters um, up to President Cyril Ramaphosa. It was very, very tense. And that's that's why we are seeing these joint sitting rules being adopted now. They were adopted with a vote of 297 for and 23 EFF MPs against in December last year, which says a lot about where the, IFF, where the EFF is positioned in terms of parliamentary benches as well. Um, but what does that say about this year's State of the Nation address? Can we have that expectation that the EFF will disrupt it again? I did ask the EFF spokesperson last week, well, are you going to disrupt it? We said we haven't taken a decision. We are seeing this last-ditch uh, court effort to try and get Julius Malema and the other leadership to attend. Do you think that they should be allowed to attend if you listen to the legalities of the, the argument there? Or do you think that they should not be allowed because of past experience? Send me a WhatsApp voice note. I'd love to hear from you. WhatsApp Mandy on 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. Mendy, the problem with Julius Malema, I think without him, EFF is nothing. There are many uh, members of EFF who are going to be attending that sauna. But Julius Malema is fighting with everything to go to that sauna so that he can interrupt. If it was those members, 35, who were suspended, but Julius was going to attend, he was never going to take that to court. So Julius Malema, he doesn't believe in his own people. He thinks without him, EFF is nothing. Afternoon, Mendy. My wish is that they should not be allowed to attend. They are just too disruptive. They are spoiling everything. It's unnecessary. Their actions are just unacceptable. I wish they should not be allowed to attend the sauna this year. Thank you. Sarah here.
Hey, Sarah, at least the solo might actually start on time this year for a change. Um, but is there merit, legal merit in the argument here? The EFF is arguing that because the ANC has got the majority um, and because the EFF has got a minority in, in Parliament, that they can't contest um, this decision that's been taken and they should be allowed. But the, 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 the converse argument, of course, is that they're disruptive and they have been disruptive for years. Um, but are they entitled to? Now there's new laws, there's new joint sitting rules in place which means that they can't disrupt the president I don't know why it took them so long to to get to that point Um, but different views about whether the EFF should be allowed also this perception that the EFF does not exist outside of Julius Malema is this a a perception that you agree with and do you agree with that voice note Um, I think many people would 702 the midday report Monday to Friday 12 to 1 p.m. So there has been a lot of attention lately on the International Court of Justice in The Hague because of South Africa's uh, case against Israel. However, today it's somewhat of a different attention from a South African perspective because Professor Derek Clady is being sworn in today. He has technically been sworn in as South Africa's first permanent judge in the Netherlands. That happened at 11 o'clock South African time. We did speak to him on the Midday Report a few weeks ago when it was announced that he was going to be a permanent judge. Remember Dikang Moseneke had to sit in that Israel application because we did not have a permanent judge. So now we have a permanent judge. Have a listen to Professor Diret Ladi being sworn in earlier today. Judge Diret Ladi of South African nationality graduated in law cum laude from the University of Pretoria after which he obtained a Master of Laws degree from the University of Connecticut and was subsequently awarded a PhD in international law from Erasmus University in Rotterdam. He has combined an outstanding academic career with high-level positions as legal expert, both within the South African government and in the context of the United Nations. As an academic, Judge Tladi was until recently professor of international law at the University of Pretoria, where he held the South African Research Church of International Constitutional Law and the future Africa Chair in Global Equity in Africa. He has also lectured in law at the University of South Africa and the University of Stellenbosch, as well as having been invited to lecture as visiting professor of law at various renowned universities around the world. Within the government of South Africa, his career at the Department of International Relations and Cooperation began with his appointment as Principal State Law Advisor in International Law, after which he served as Legal Counselor of the South African Permanent Mission to the United Nations in New York. Professor Derek Clady being sworn in earlier today. Let's get some analysis on this now with Mbekizeli Benjamin, who's a research and advocacy officer at Judges Matter. Mbekizeli, good afternoon to you. How significant is this? How, what is the importance uh, of uh, Professor Clady being sworn in as a judge of the ICJ? Good afternoon, Mandy, and good afternoon to the listeners. Um, yeah, Professor Claddy is serving in as a judge of the International Court of Justice is actually one of the most significant uh, moments um, for South Africa's legal standing in the world. Um, we have not yet had a judge at the International Court of Justice, which is the highest um, judicial body in the world. And so it is a, a hugely significant moment uh, 
for the country, uh, but also is a significant moment uh, for uh, Judge Gadi uh, himself, like to come from Harangua and make it all the way to the highest echelons in the in the legal profession around the world. It's a huge achievement on a personal level. So I'm imagining a lot of South African lawyers will be inspired by it. Uh, and what criteria, what criteria needs to be followed for someone to end up as a judge at the ICJ? Does he get appointed? Does he apply? Uh, what what credentials does he need? So it's it's actually quite a, a rigorous process. Number one, um, you must have proven yourself as an, a, an expert on international law. And Professor Tladi is, is actually quite unique in that he's a well-known and well-regarded academic of international law. He's a law professor at the University of Pretoria, but at, uh, at many other institutions around the world. But he also very, has uh, practical experience of international law within the South African government and at global institutions. Most recently, uh, a member of the International Law Commission, which is the lawmaking body of the United Nations. Um, and he's also proven himself um, as, as a, a lawyer practicing at that level. So he has both practical experience and academic experience. But the, the, the tricky part was um, he had to be elected by the United Nations General Assembly, which is about 190 countries from around the world. They needed to, to vote him in, and uh, the Security Council needed to approve it, which is another 15 countries. So it is quite a rigorous process, and he made it through through his uh, experience, but also through um, the work that the Department of International Relations did at the UN. And Becky Zelli, thank you so much for that. Um, Becky Zelli, Benjamin, Research and Advocacy Officer at Judges Matt, explaining the significance of this, the fact that Professor Tladi has now been appointed as a permanent member on the judge. And of course, his first sitting will be on the 19th of February in uh, that uh, South Africa-Israel case in the request for an advisory opinion on that situation. Uh, so he's going to be sitting on that and a few other really interesting cases as well. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hey, good day, Radio 702. Listening to the topic of uh, sonar tendency, I just want to pick up on the line of the EFF. I wish next time on the EFF elect their president. They elect Boiseni Inclos. The guy is educated. The guy makes sense when he talk, but he's not being given a chance. I thank you. Mandy, we are so tired about Julius Malema. Julius Malema is imene mene. I don't know what to say in, that in English, but Julius Malema is imene mene. We don't trust him anymore. I voted for EFF first time. Now I'm not going to vote for EFF no more. This man is imene mene. I don't know. I can't translate it in English. Bye. Uh, Mandy, uh, the EFF did not do anything that is outside the rules. They need to be let in. And so why does it take the whole year to deal with this matter by the deployees of the African National Congress? At the same time, EFF is shining a light back to us as to why are we comfortable to listen to people who have no credibility, who have no dignity or respect parliament, even the highest office in the land. Why should we waste our time and listen to those people? Those people are not worth to listen to. Kustas. 
Thanks very much for those different views on the EFF. That's Dr. Mbuiseni and Lozi to you. Uh, do you think he'd make a good leader of the EFF? I know that there's been a lot of um, disparaging remarks made about how he gets treated uh, within the EFF, but of course he is incredibly um, academic and qualified. Um, so do you think he would be a good leader? Do you think it is just about Julius Malema at this point? And to play devil's advocate, there is an argument here that they should be allowed in. It is the National Assembly, that this process took very long. Why in February do they get banned? So uh, we'll see what the courts decide, that court application currently underway at the moment. And how will the EFF do in the upcoming elections? Well, we had a voter registration weekend this past weekend. The IEC is busy giving an update on that. Uh, The media briefing covering the total number of registrations recorded, a breakdown by province, online registrations as well. So let's have a listen to the IEC CEO, Sai Mamabolo, delivering that briefing. And this feed is courtesy of Newsroom Africa of the National Assembly. The period for public submissions closes on the 20th of February this year. The Commission will consider the submissions and representations together with voter population data in each region to determine the spread of these 200 regional seats. This work is an important precursor to candidate nomination, as it will enable political parties to know how many candidates they may field in each each respective region to national list. The number of candidates on a list may not exceed available seats on any election segment. Furthermore, following public consultation, The Commission has now determined the quantum of election deposits for those political parties and independents who intend to contest the forthcoming elections. The determined deposits are as follows. A political party that contests the compensatory seats in the National Assembly and in all the nine regions will need to deposit an amount of 300,000. Furthermore, a political party will have to deposit 50,000 for each of the provincial legislatures. A political party that contests the compensatory seats in the National Assembly and in at least one region will deposit 225,000 and 25,000 rands for each additional region. Importantly, independent candidates will deposit 20,000 for each region they wish to contest and 15,000 for the for each for the province rather uh, 15,000 for the election of a provincial legislature. Deposits are refunded to parties and independent representatives that win a seat in a legislative assembly. The commission will also eminently publish its determination of the number of seats in each provincial legislature. The the determination also follows a period of public consultation 
and representations by interested parties, as well as data related to population in each province. That's the IEC CEO, Sai Mamabolo, busy giving an update there. So the important headline there is that the voters' roll now stands at 27.4 million. So we've got a, a population of about 60 million, about 40 million adults, according to the census, if I remember correctly. So 27.4 million have registered to vote. The trick now is how many of those people actually go to the polls. So in the last local government elections, we had just over 12 million. I think it was 12.4 million um, that actually went to the polls. And that's the critical number is how many people do we actually get to cast their ballots? Are they inspired by any political leaders? Well, we heard there from Simon Mbolo about the fact that parties now need to nominate candidates. And Rizam Zanzi has announced its Gauteng Premier candidates. And the Gauteng Premier candidate is the national chairperson of the party, Vuyiswa Ramakopa, who joins us now. Vuyiswa, uh, good afternoon to you. I imagine I should say congratulations on uh, you being named as Rizam Zanzi's Gauteng Premier candidate. Hi, Mandy. Thank you very much. I appreciate the, the words of congratulations. So so what are, what are your expectations around this election? You are a new party. Um, Gauteng, obviously, is one of those uh, provinces that is very much uh, uh, up in the air, along with uh, KwaZulu-Natal. It seems to be the two provinces that people are watching most closely. So what are your expectations in terms of, 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 of votes and people coming out to vote for you? So Gauteng is actually at a very exciting point right now because uh, change is imminent. You know, um, it, it's, if you look at the most recent polls and um, some of the forecasts, it's clear to see that, um, you know, it's highly unlikely that the governing party will be uh, getting a majority. And therefore, we are looking forward to be being part of a governing coalition uh, in the next um, in the next legislature. So, yeah, so, I mean, Gauteng is ready for change in our engagements in the various communities that we've been in. Um, it is evident that people are ready for new leaders and are ready to usher in a new era of leadership. And uh, we believe that Rizam Zanz is well poised to respond to what the citizens of this province are looking for. When you say Rizam Zanzi is well poised, what is it that you believe that you, you offer uh, the electorate? Why should uh, they be voting for Rizam Zanzi? So Mandy, people are tired of legacy politics and uh, pol- politicians and political parties that don't care for them, that are not accountable to them as the citizens and that only seem to be interested in their own activities and, uh, of course, engaging in acts of corruption, etc., etc. They are looking for a new, fresh crop of leaders, you know, and, and given the era that we're going in and given the fact that Gauteng is the economic capital of this country, uh, people are looking for leaders who've got technical expertise, leaders who have run things, who, uh, you know, have track records and who can demonstrate an ability to actually take this province forward. They're tired of just being bussed into stadiums to sing songs and then, you know, uh, and then political parties don't come back ever again for another five years when they need them to come and fill stadiums. That type of politics is done. It's tried and tested. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the politics of old. People want to be engaged. Uh, young people especially uh, want to be spoken to. They want to be engaged. They have opinions. They have access to information. Um, and they don't want to mm-hmm. just be treated like voting cows, you know. So when, when I heard you talking about the, the voter statistics, I think it's, it's evident that, 
you know, the, the number of people, the sheer volume of people that stay away from the polls are not just, it's, it's a blatant rejection of what exists um, in right. the current political establishment. They are looking for something very specific, something very new and different and a new type of politics, which mm. I am comfortable and confident that Ryzen Zanzi can offer. Uh, we just want a personal level. You, of course, are the national chairperson of the party. Obviously, the party uh, thinks that it can be a genuine contender in Gauteng by putting you up as, as the Gauteng premier candidate. Can you see a, a scenario unfolding where we have a coalition government, where Raisa Mzanzi could play some kind of swing role, kingmaker uh, situation, and you could emerge as the premier? Absolutely. I wouldn't have thrown my name in the hat if I didn't believe that I am going to be Gauteng's next premier. Um, and I, I think that the work that our organizers and volunteers have been doing on the ground to establish Rise and Zanti in all of the key metros and uh, communities has ensured that we also have built an election machinery that can support this campaign um, as we move towards elections. Um, and I think also people are looking for fresh voices. You know, I have had the benefit of running my own businesses, of leading um, organizations nationally. I've sat on boards. Um, I've worked with entrepreneurs. And I am a mother, you know, and a wife. I, I'm able to relate to a lot of the issues that women in this, country, in this province are facing. And, and we know that as women, you know, we are the majority in this province. Mm. They want to see, we want to see ourselves represented. We want to hear yeah. our issues being top of the agenda um, of politics and of politicians. And, and unfortunately, if you look at the current landscape, we, we don't have actually an adequate representation of, of women leaders who can articulate the lived experience of, of mothers uh, and of women in this, in this province. And I think I, I bring a different style. Fuyiswa, thank you very much for making time to chat to us. Fuyiswa Ramakhopa, Rise Mzanzi, Gauteng Premier Candidate. Listen, being a mother is like a whole credential in itself to, to get stuff done. So I think that uh, don't discount that, that, that argument. Uh, but do you think that Fuyiswa Ramakhopa will be the next Gauteng Premier? Do we see a scenario where Rise Mzanzi becomes a swing vote, a potential coalition partner? What are your thoughts on that? What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good day, uh, Mandy. It's not many in Pretoria. I think that uh, the fact that uh, the powers, privileges, rules were amended last year, as Nosif Yomapisi is saying, the speaker, the national speaker, uh, that uh, the president should not be disrupted during SONA. I think it goes it goes back to the constitution. If uh, people have got the privilege to speak, they must be allowed, but uh, they can't be disrupting the sauna for an hour or so. They should raise the important issues, but equally so, the ANC is quite convenient for them to amend the rules because the president must also tell us in detail what he achieved. He can't make a repetition speech every year. Thank you. You need to remember something, Mandy. It doesn't matter what personal opinion says democracy and the rule of law constitutionally allows the EFF to be allowed in parliament. Yep, that's uh, that's the fact that the court will have to decide now what happens. That court's application currently underway to see if the EFF will be allowed, or those EFF leaders at least, will be allowed to attend SONA. So we'll bring that to you as soon as we uh, have a decision on that. Uh, speaking of the courts, let's get a quick update on the Senzo Miwa trial uh, currently underway. One of the accused is on the stand, Khomotsu Mudisa, EWN reporter. Tell us about that. 
Well, Mandy, with Gokshula Lafi as back on the witness stand today, he has been testifying as um, a witness for the defense, giving his version of events on what exactly happened in the run-up to his arrest as well as after his arrest. We remember that he um, signed a confession statement at the Deep Police Station just hours after his arrest in Tembisa. Police insist that he um, came out and he volunteered, essentially, the information around the murder of Senzo Meiwa, uh, saying he knew his time would come, that he'd have to speak about um, what actually happened. Uh, but he insists that he was assaulted, severely beaten, um, and ultimately he then was forced to sign that uh, statement. Now what happened this morning, Mandy, is that there's been a heavy focus from advocates Sibanda for the state around the inconsistencies in the version that was brought by Sibia's lawyers, that's Chulanim Gomezuru, and what Sibia is telling the court now on the witness stand. And Sibia keeps saying, I can't answer for what my lawyers said. I can't answer for the version that they brought here. I'm on the stand now, and I'm telling you what happened, and I need you to believe me. Now, of course, that's rather tricky because Gomezuru uh, was acting on Sibia's instruction. We know multiple times. Sibia would raise his hand and correct certain things as Ngomezulu was cross-examining the state witnesses. But it seems Sibia is insisting that his version is the one that's correct. And I think now, just before we had a quick mm -hmm. adjournment, Mandy, something really interesting happened around, you know, um, the details on the pro forma form that police say Sibia filled himself. And he insists that he doesn't remember all the questions around, you know, uh, his constitutional rights. All he remembers is that he told the motor that he'd been beaten, severely beaten for hours before being brought to the police station. Khumoto, thank you for that uh, update. Khumoto Modisa, EWN reporter, one of the accused still on the stand there as that trial within a trial continues. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. As we've been telling you all week, the mining in Darba underway in Cape Town. Yesterday, the president spoke. Uh, mining industry leaders uh, also in attendance. Big issues on the table. Nokokanya Tambo, EWN reporter, joining us there. Nokokanya, take us through what's on the agenda today. Uh, good afternoon, Mandy. So more than anything today, what we're seeing are discussions around safety, occupational safety within the mining industry and sort of the checks and balances that mining houses need to put in place to ensure the safety of mine workers. You can imagine the pre precarious nature of, of that job, Mandy, uh, you know, for, for gold miners having to be underground at length. Uh, and for, you know, within the other sectors of the mining industry, having to interact with uh, certain minerals, uh, you know, that cause respiratory diseases. And so uh, what we're seeing today are those discussions about what needs to be done by the mining industry to prevent, uh, you know, uh, loss of life that can be prevented. I think the, the Minerals Council report from last year showed that the number of deaths of fatalities that occurred in the industry throughout the course of last year was 54, which is a slight uh, uptick compared to the previous year. And the industry before then had made uh, you know, some headway in terms of preventing fatalities in the line of duty. And we saw that regression last year, particularly after we saw that implant um, accident where 13 mine workers were killed when a cage that they were in plummeted 200 meters down, Mandy. So what they, again, they're discussing just ways to prevent that, that sort of loss of life and uh, you know, what needs to be done, both in partnership with uh, you know, the mining houses as well as government in terms of oversight 
and whether or not the mining companies are keeping to the regulations that are in place. And Mandy, just, you know, the sense that I got from speaking to some of the the industry leaders is that the frameworks certainly are there. So the regulations are in place to prevent loss of life on, on duty. The issue comes in with implementation, and that becomes a little trickier because, uh, you know, the oversight in terms of the individual companies themselves might not be there, uh, even though the framework is there. And so those discussions, again, need to be had within the mining industry about keeping to the framework and the regulations that are in place and abiding by the occupational um, health and safety regulations and the Act, Mandy. So, uh, you know, again, that sense that we're getting from the, the industry leaders is that they, again, need to sit down and go back to the basics in terms of ensuring the safety of mine workers. Look, Kanye, in your conversations with these industry leaders, how would you describe the, the mood, particularly towards government, uh, when it does come to, to this kind of legislation, when it comes to, to policy decisions? Uh, uh, what kind of sense do you get from them? There does appear to be some sort of collaboration and a willingness to collaborate on both parts uh, in terms of government and the mining industry itself. They are upbeat, but even though, uh, even though there are some you know, gaps in policy and there are some issues in terms of implementation, but they can, at the end of the day, come to the table, sit together and discuss what needs to be done. Uh, you know, I, I, from the sense that we've gotten over the past two days already is that both governments and the mining houses are willing to to make to have these discussions because at the end of the day it all comes down to wanting the best for the industry for for, for the economy uh, the mining industry mandy uh, contributes uh, you know uh, at length to to the to, to the well-being of the economy and government understands that uh, in terms of the taxes that it is able to get from uh, mm. uh, the mining industry, the jobs that are created with the mining industry. So government understand that, understands that it needs to be able to make a, a, an inducive environment um, for, for, for the mining industry to be able to, to operate uh, and in turn be able to contribute mm. to the economy. And so certainly government is willing to come to the table as much as the mining leaders are. Nokokanya, important conversations. Thank you very much, Nokokanya Mtambo, EWN reporter at the Mining in Daba. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. I think the EFF is concerned about the B team. The A team is going to be denied access to parliament during SONA this year. And they are going to cause chaos but then would that chaos be as effective as the A team would do it? That's their main concern. They don't trust uh, the B team. So now that is why they are running to the courts to to get them back into parliament. So I don't see that happening. It's Owen from Brits. Hi, Mandy. Good afternoon. Israel Kruger. Um, I heard the lady, she was saying Julius Malema, she's, he is Limenemen. I think Limenemen is hypocrite. Just tell the lady that uh, what apparently she is saying is that the Julius, he is a hypocrite. So, yeah. No, thanks, Mandy. Cheers. Bye. That's an excellent uh, explanation. Thank you very much. Um, and aren't most politicians, isn't this the argument that many people have? Uh, is the EFF sending the B team? I think they would argue otherwise. But uh, I think that uh, it is going to be important what happens in court, the EFF, in that uh, last-minute bid to get Julius Malema and the five other leaders to attend the State of the Nation address. So we'll see what happens there and whether or not they will be allowed in. But crucially, those rules, um, the joint sitting rules, expressly provide... Um, 
um, for the fact that the president cannot be disrupted when he is speaking. So does that then leave the EFF in a difficult position? We will see.